0: Let's, uh, let's just pray, ask God to give us ears to hear and eyes to see uh, this morning. We need it. We need to hear from him. Uh, we are, as Alex rightly reminded us, uh, sinful, broken people uh, in need of grace. We're at a hospital this morning. Uh, we're not at a place where everybody comes in saying they're great and, uh, and fixed and clean and in no need of the cross of Christ. We're all in deep need of that. Let's ask him for, for help. God, thank you that you're a God who speaks. Uh, thank you that you've chosen to speak in this age primarily through your written word. God, thank you that we have it. Thank you that we can read it. Thank you that we can study it. Thank you that we can preach it. Thank you that we can listen to it. God, I just want to pray for our hearts this morning. I'm sure they're all over the place. Uh, God, I know they're all over the place because that's the way you describe the human heart. Uh, So may you bring us back to the sweet, good, glorious news of Jesus Christ and his body that was broken, his blood that was shed, uh, in our place for our sins, uh, rising again. Uh, showing evidence that it is painful, paid full. May we enjoy that, may we see that, may we treasure that, may we lean into that this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, uh, if you're just visiting and just landing uh, here with us this morning, what we normally do, primary diet of, of teaching, is kind of taking a book of the Bible, just walking through a book of the Bible verse by verse, line by line, just so we see hopefully in its fullness what God wants to say to us from his uh, written word. And what we did was we decided a, a couple weeks ago just to take a, four-week break just to walk through as a faith family why we exist. Why does Church at Bergen exist? And just look at our mission and vision statement. And the the reason we did this primarily was I, I really felt led by God for us to realign ourselves and remind ourselves why we're here, why we're gathering, what we're about. If we don't do that, then uh, we're kind of missing the whole thing altogether. So we can assume that there's a lot of different things and a lot of different reasons we're here, a lot of different reasons why we gather and why we sing, why we pray, why we scatter during the week, what is the purpose of the church. What we did was we wanted to look in the scriptures and see, okay, what is the, the ethos, what is the the, the DNA, what is kind of the drive of God's redeemed people spread out as his local church? Because that's what we are. We're a local church. We're a local assembly in the larger universal church that is being redeemed and saved by God through Christ. So we want to be so clear as to why we are together and why we exist. And we looked back uh, at, the, at the first part. We're just going to throw the statement up on the screen just so we can keep remembering and seeing it as you're seeing this kind of roll out. Church of Bergen exists uh, for this reason, we exist to bring glory to God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ locally and globally, okay? So, so we started with two weeks ago that the foundation for everything is bringing glory to God. So we don't exist for us. We don't exist ultimately for our own happiness or our wants or our needs. We ultimately exist to make much of him, to worship him, to praise him, to enjoy him, to treasure him. And so what that does is that that frees you from being the center of the universe. It makes God the center of the universe where you can worship him and not be self-centered in your worship. We saw that God throughout redemptive history is calling man and woman back to the forfeiting of his glory to worship themselves in the garden. Then he starts establishing and putting his glory and putting his presence in the temple and the tabernacle, ultimately in the person of Christ who comes, rules, reigns, dies for sin, rises again. And then he, he gifts the church with his Holy Spirit and literally makes us the new temple. So So we're now imaging the glory of God around us as his blood-bought people. Just amazing. We talked about how that was just Beautiful, and then we saw that what does God do to display His glory? Well, He establishes a covenant community of people set up as His local churches to be the flagship of this glory. And we looked last week at what are they supposed to do? Make disciples. And, and I know I pressed in some hearts, I know some hairs bristled last week, I know there's a foreign concept for many uh, sitting in this room, but if we're going to do anything here, we're going to do what Jesus said, which is make ongoing learners of Jesus. Uh, and I cannot overstate, if you miss those last two, to, and you, this is like where you land as your church home, you've you got to listen to those, because otherwise you're going to miss the boat on, on why we do things, why things are being said, why we... Uh, do certain things in the future, and how the gospel fits into that, okay? So that's why we exist, to bring glory to God and make much of him and make disciples, make ongoing learners of Jesus Christ. And here we're going to see uh, the third thing, how this rolls into something very, very important. And so what is the fuel, what is the foundation for all of that? The gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay, th- this is the centerpiece of, of making disciples and bringing great Glory to God. Uh, so listen, if we miss this, we close the doors, hang up shop, I get a new job, and we just cease to exist. Okay? So, so we, if there's anything we get, we get this. Okay? there's anything as a faith family that we get, it's the good news of Jesus Christ and so we're going to just look at uh, just a few of the infinite glories of the gospel I, this is not exhaustive so this is not a class on every single last element of the good news of Jesus Christ I just want to look at a few enjoy it and see why this matters and why this is foundational to our mission in life together okay so let's go to first Corinthians 15 and we're going to see what Paul said about this great news that is the gospel and, and here's what I want to do <laughs> this morning is not assume anything okay I'm I'm not gonna assume any I'm not gonna assume because you have grown up in church your whole life that you understand this. I'm not gonna assume that because you've heard these truths articulated that somehow they've permeated your heart and aren't just still floating around in your mind as cute ideas. I'm not gonna just assume that you're all standing in the gospel, that that maybe some of us have vain belief. I'm not gonna assume anything. I'm also not gonna assume that if you're you know new to this thing, that that you somehow just through osmosis kind of heard this good news and get it. Okay, we're going we're gonna to get really practical, really specific, and just look at some of the things that, that are part of this good news, this glorious gospel, which is God saving and redeeming sinners to himself. So look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse, starting in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures. Okay, so Paul writes to this church at Corinth, and interesting, he says, I want to remind you of something. Okay, so already you know, okay, this is important. Whatever Paul says we need to remember is very, 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 very important. He could have said, I want to remind you of a thousand different things. Okay, he could have listed out anything here, but he says, I want to remind you of the good news of Jesus Christ, which is of first importance. Okay, this is preeminent, this is primary, this is the one thing I want. Now this is why this is so important to get. If you look at a lot of the letters that, that uh, he writes to these local churches, he's going to say this over and over. Hey, I'm writing to you again this gospel that I want you to remember. Yeah, I know I already said it, but let me say it again. Let me lay it before you again. Let me repeat myself. He just does rinse and repeat over and over and over again. This is very Pauline, very like Paul, and he says if there is something you must never forget, never move away from, it is the gospel of Jesus Christ and he reminds us of God's response to us in our sin. Okay, now, now we've talked about this at length uh, two weeks ago, that there is this infinitely glorious, powerful God who made all things for the worship of his name. And, and the fundamental sin of the universe is instead of bringing him glory, we are like our father Adam and Eve, and we forfeit his glory to worship ourselves. So we, we enjoy worship that we get more than giving him worship. Now we're going to see in that as we try to give worship of ourselves and make much of us, that only leads to a joyless, meaningless, bitter, frustrated, blame-shifting life. Okay, so that, that's not a good deal. Okay, so if you are the center of your universe and you like worship of yourself more than him, he wants to free you from that and reconcile you back to how fellowship was before sin entered the world. And so we see God's response to us wanting to receive glory and not give him glory. So for a moment, think about whatever's on the mantle of your heart. What is it that you crave more than him? What is it that you make ultimate more than him? And, And the list could be a number of things, whatever it is in your life, um, that's gonna be the functional purpose of your existence. So if it's, if it's work, if it's money, if it's sex, if it's relationships, if it's esteem, if it's that becomes your functional God and you now begin to worship that instead of him. And so this becomes the, the foundation for you of joy, of security, of worth. Okay, that, that, those, all these things become functional gods. So, so what is the response to an infinitely glorious God when we misplace his worship that he rightly deserves. Now, a lot of us know the first response really is eternal torment in hell. Now, I know that's not popular. I know that none of us, some of us may not even want to believe that. But but the reality is we believe God's that serious. God is that holy. God is that big. So so that's the first response. But Paul lays out the second response of the infinitely glorious, holy, perfect God of the universe. And he says Jesus comes and dies for that. And he's buried for that. And he rises for that good news so this is great the good news is not that now you can be more faithful attending church like that's not the good news the good news isn't that now you can you can try harder maybe look better on the scale as Alex shared the good news is that that you get reconciliation with God that's the good news And, and he goes I love this I'm reminding you of this gospel which is of first importance Paul's going if you miss anything don't miss this. Don't get off this. Don't, don't drift from this. Right. So, so here's how that works out for us um, here at church at Bergen. Um, there's one hill with one flag we're gonna stick in the ground. Okay, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so listen, we can have conversations about are you pre-trib, post-trib, millennial? We can talk about you know different types of polity. We can talk about you know gifts. See, still going. We can talk about you know. Contemporary music, hymns, not hymns, carpet color, jeans, no jeans, suit and tie, no suit and tie. We can talk about that stuff all day long. We'll we'll have meaningful dialogue about that. But if if this isn't the flag in the ground we die on, we're dying on something else, and we'll be a train wreck, divided, not unified, not in harmony, not seeing people made disciples and bringing glory to God through this gospel. So listen, this is where we're going to die on the hill. Okay, so this is the flag in the ground we'll put, that, that he's the substitute for us, it is his righteousness, not our works, That it, it is all about what Christ did, he is fully sufficient. So listen, that's the main thing. Now if you want something else to the main thing, you can, I don't know, try to find somewhere else to go that, that has another main thing, or wants something else to be the flag that you stick in the ground, but listen, this is the thing we want to revolve around as a life together. Now listen, all those other beautifully important theological things are going are gonna to be served by this gospel but not the other way around. Okay, so, so we could, let's come in humbly and l- let's just remember that the primary thing is we're sinners saved by grace and desperate need of grace and that we're being saved by this, that we need this daily for our life and joy. So this is where we want to land. This is where we want to stand. Now I want to um, flip over to Romans 3. I want to look at Paul, the same writer, unpacks just some of these uh, more deeper aspects of this gospel that's of first importance. Romans chapter 3. Uh, If there's a section of scripture that you maybe highlight in your Bible or underline, this is a a great one. Uh, Romans 3, 23 to 26. Here is what uh, Paul will write. For all have sinned and fall short of... Now, (laughs) I feel like a lot of us miss this. What do we fall short of? The glory. This is why this is the fundamental sin of you and I. We fall short of giving him glory. We fall short of giving him worship. and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, if we're on, honest, most of us were doing great till we hit propitiation. Okay, so you're like, man, I'm, yeah, I'm following, okay, what is that? Okay, what, here, okay, element of the gospel, propitiation. Here, very simply, is what that means because this text tells us that God sent Christ as a propitiation. That, that just very simply means that, that he had to appease something. He had to satisfy something. There was something against us that had to be removed. Okay, so Christ steps in that. Now what was that thing, the very wrath of God, the anger of God towards sin, that he is so infinitely holy, righteous, and glorious that, that no one can stand in his sight. No one wants to give him glory. And so that right wrath is, is towards us that ultimately condemns us to eternal punishment in hell. And Christ appeases it he actually bears that he puts it on himself so so it's removed for the person who trusts in christ that's that's huge i mean propitiation is massive in the gospel okay so this is what christ does he he not only stands in your place and becomes sin for you and gives you righteousness he quenches the unlimited wrath of god towards you in that sinful state praise god That he is our propitiation. So out of love for the glory of God, Christ absorbs it all. He takes it all. Now, why is this important? Why is this significant? Why does this matter? Because a lot of people were crucified. (laughs) Right? A lot of people go just to the agony of the crucifixion, the pain that he felt. Okay, well, everybody felt that. Other people felt that. Other people suffered like that. Jesus is set apart because only Christ absorbed the full wrath of the creator of all things. The agony, I mean, the real agony of the cross is that. And no, no human being will is, is capable of that other than being incinerated, right? And Christ bore all of that on himself. So Jesus' death is set apart outside of his resurrection through his Propitiation. We see this in Isaiah 53. What does it say? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what happens in the cross of Christ is every little bit of your failure to honor his name, all of your lusts, all of your lies, all of your anger, all of your secret sins, all of your vices that you love to worship to make much of you, he took all of that, all the things that God demanded to be pointed and honoring to him he said i'm gonna throw the wrath on my son i'm gonna lay that on my son amazing and he does it for us in free grace now because christ does this this enables god to now do something says now he can justify us okay he can now declare us righteous and it says God justifies us. That, that just very simply means to be declared right before God. To have right standing before him. To be made holy. To be made right. Now, notice this verb is passive. We are justified. It's not we are justifying. You know why that's good news? You have no part of it. <laughs> There's no you in that. Like he does this outside of you. So he makes you righteous of nothing that you do. He just says, I'm going to justify you. Right? There's no skill, no moralism, no effort, no nothing. There's no Mike Green there. There's no Sarah, Sally, Jim, Henry. There's, there's no one other than Christ does it for God. Right? He declares us righteous. He justifies us. He makes us have right standing before God. That's wrath was toward us rightly. We were enemies of God. We were against God. We rebelled against God. Now, now all of a sudden we're made right? Wait, wait, now, now we can just stand before Him in a way that, that is not against Him, but He's actually for us? Praise God that he justifies us. And then there are just two very important things that happen in justification. One, he takes the sin of man and charges it to his son. Okay, that's one. The second thing is he gifts you the righteousness of his son that's hanging for you. Those two things are so important. You have to have both. You have to. Okay, and I know I say this all the time, but I love repeating myself because it's worth remembering. Listen, it's, it's not just as if I never sinned. I know that that's the common justified, that's what it means, but that puts you at zero and you're still going to hell. Okay, so you need to be credited something. You need infinite holiness, infinite righteousness. You don't just need all of your sin to be placed on him. It's a, it's a dual reality happening, a crediting and a debiting. And that's what happens in justification. He puts our sin on Christ and then he gifts us his righteousness. And notice it says you're justified by his grace as a gift. In your rebellion, Christ just said this is a gift. Of nothing you do, look at my son, look at his payment, paid in full. Enjoy me, worship me, come back and give me glory that I deserve. Profound. Now how can this be though, still? just, Just think about this for a minute. What makes it right though for God to do this? Like, like, what makes it, I was trying to even think of a way to, to say this, I mean, what makes it right for a God who's infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely glorious, infinitely majestic, infinitely beautiful, infinitely perfection, what makes it right for him to declare a sinner who's rebelled against his name, belittled his name, failed to give glory to his name, what, what, what makes it Right for him to declare them righteous. Because I want you to think about it. If you don't pay for it, if you don't work for it, if you don't do anything for it, what makes it right? That leads us to this next thing, verse 24 in this text. He he redeems us, that's what he does. Redemption, it says, justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is redemption? Just to to purchase back, right? To deliver at a cost, right? You you have something you redeem at a store, you get something back, right? Now, now what redeemed us? The costly grace of his son. I mean, Galatians 3 is going to say, right, he became the curse for you and me. There was a curse that had to be paid, so he actually paid it. Okay, so, so he was the actual cost that delivers you, that makes it right now, makes it okay now for him to say, okay, now you're declared right before me because there was a payment, not just the wrath that was towards you in your sin, but there had to be a payment, an infinite payment. It's my son who's infinitely wise, who is the very radiance of my glory. Hebrews 1, he's in your place, hanging for you so that now it's right and okay that I declare you and make you righteous. He redeems you. Redemption's huge in the gospel. It's a huge aspect of the gospel. If there's no redemption, there is no justification. All of these things swim together. Amazing that he does this. I love 2 Corinthians 5:21. That's it's not on the screen but 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 he who for our sake God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He was not made a sinner. He was made sin. He did not act in sin, but he became our sin for us. So that we could become his righteousness amazing. Now, now wrapped up in this idea of redemption is reconciliation. Okay, it's not explicitly there, but but it's many other places. Okay, and this is just the process by which God just mends together and brings people back to Himself. This is one of the greatest promises in scripture. Look at 2 Corinthians five eighteen. God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. So because of the propitiation of God in Christ, absorbing the wrath of God towards us in our sin, he declares us righteous by the redemption, by the cost, by the payment of Jesus, which then lets him reconcile sinful man back to an infinitely holy righteous God. He mends the gap. He brings you back together. God is forever doing this, and this is what's amazing. When he, when he reconciles you now, there's forever no condemnation, there's endless peace, there's no guilt, there's no shame, there's, there's harmony, there's joy, there's steadfastness, there's refuge because the gap's been mended. You don't need to sit in your life and go, man, I wonder if it was mended, I don't really know. I, did, did Christ, really, was it really sufficient? Did he really ap- propitiate for me? Did he really declare me righteous? All of these things, no, reconciliation takes all of that, ties it together, all the demands have been met, now God can do something. Now he can reconcile us back to a holy God, which the way it was intended before Genesis 3. And I love this for a good understanding. Look at Colossians 1. This idea that God makes what went wrong right. He unpacks more this idea of reconciliation. Colossians 1 verse 20. I know I'm giving you a lot of verses, but it's exciting. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross... And you, okay, that's you and me, okay, in case you're wondering who that is, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and spotless before him. So why are we alienated? We discussed that. We desire worship above giving him worship. So we want the glory, we want the honor, we want the affirmation, we don't want him to get it, so that alienates us. And here's the thing, that leads to a hostile mind. Why does that lead to a hostile mind? Because you so desperately are having that thing, work, sex, love, relationships, esteem, whatever it is, as your functional God. So because that thing is never giving you what only God can give you, you grow hostile. What does that mean? You start blaming everyone else or other things for your unhappiness, right? So, so I don't know what it is. So, it's your spouse's fault. It's your boss's fault. It's your pastor's fault. It's your friend's fault. It's the church's fault. It's this fault. You just you just start blaming. Why? Because because you're searching for those things. Functional gods. They were never designed to be what only God can be. So you somehow buy the lie that I can somehow maybe find the eternal happiness, joy, reconciliation, mending my sinful broken heart I need in that functional God. Because you can't, you grow hostile. So you run the merry-go-round, that cul-de-sac your whole life of searching and searching, and you're just hostile. And what does hostility lead to? Evil deeds. That's why you're bitter. That's why you're angry. That's why you're resentful. That's why you envy. That's why you covet. It's 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 just fruit Of what's going on in your hostile heart. Because of you being alienated from God. And until we understand this. There will not be. Reconciliation. There will not be an understanding of why Christ came. And died. But look at what Christ does. Look at what he does. To all of us. Who in this room. Are alienated from God. Hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds. Look at what he does. In Colossians 1. You who were. Alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you how? Holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. So God sends Jesus Christ, who was the blameless, spotless Son of God who goes and lives the above reproach, perfect life demanded by God, and then he takes your alienated soul, your hostile mind, your evil deeds, he takes all those things, he puts it on his son, and then he gives you his blameless, holy, totally above reproach life before God the Father. So you get, you get his whole life, and he takes your whole life. That, that's incredible that now this reconciliation is happening. Is anyone stirred by that? I mean, I feel like, I, so, so look at this. So he, he takes all of that, he does this, and it's good news that, that that is what has been made right because there's nothing you can do to fix that. Like, you can't fix your alienation by attending church. You can't fix your hostility by, you know, just saying a chant or just loving people. You can't fix your evil deeds by just being a good person and willing it out. You can for a season, and that'll leave you, Bitter and frustrated and resentful because it's not working. Then you just try again. You get back on the merry-go-round. Get back on the horse of the cul-de-sac. And it's just the death of self-reliance. And it's amazing what Christ does. Now, as we, I was reading this, I saw blood, right? There's blood in there. That's, that's an important thing to get. Okay, he says that peace was made by this blood. Flip over to Hebrews 9. This is another element of the gospel. That he's our sacrifice. I was thinking about this particularly with Yom Kippur this last week. Uh, That made me kind of consider that. I was like, oh, I think that'll help us understand that. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Verse 24, start there. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, not to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world but he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself beautiful element in all this is he was your sacrifice now i know a lot of us are probably unfamiliar with the shedding of blood idea now uh, with, with Yom Kippur, this is what it's, it's actually alluding to, that 25 that hour day of fasting, the day of atonement, where they would have those two goats and they would sacrifice those goats. And here's, here's what I want you to understand. The purpose of those was to remove guilt and remove shame. So why is this good news? That, that after all of these beautiful, glorious truths of the gospel, you don't have to feel shame. You don't have to feel guilt. That the blood of Christ removes your shame. I mean, who in this room is feeling shame this morning? I mean, going back to that deepest, darkest, dirtiest place where your soul just felt unclean. You knew you were unclean. Maybe it was recently or presently you're like, man, I just, I can't believe I did that. And we're all sinful, so we all have those spaces and spots in our life where lust. Cheating, lying, the way you've been as a spouse, to your husband, wife, you just, you just see it for all that it is. No, 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 no trying to justify, no trying to clean it up or make it more pretty. You're able to just look at how dirty it is and then he points you back to the sacrifice of Jesus and says, hey, there's no shame. Like, you don't have to feel shame. Maybe it was, maybe it was years ago, just a long time ago or there was something that happened or the way someone treated you or the way you just felt dirty or I know there's, there's been some abuse in here, there's been some horrific things. I mean, you don't need to feel shame. Like, his blood removes it. The sacrifice does that. That is good news. That we don't just lean into this and enjoy all these things, but still walk in guilt and shame. We walk in newness of life going, it has no hold on me. I don't need to feel that shame. And Christ did it so that I, I literally don't have shame before him in his sight. Amazing, amazing truth. His blood takes away our shame. I I know there are so many just living in unconquerable guilt. And you need to know that an element to the truth of the glorious news in the gospel is he takes away your shame. He takes away your guilt. And he removes it. That's part of his sacrifice. All right, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15 now for the, the linchpin of all this. And then we'll end with a question. Here's what Paul says back in 1 Corinthians 15 the text we were in and we started for i delivered to you as of first importance what i also received that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures okay look at what paul does he takes the death of christ and he connects it with the resurrection of christ you, you have to have both of those, okay? A lot of times we'll preach this good news and we'll only talk about his death and never talk about his resurrection. But everywhere in the New Testament, those are together. Every time that's preached, both of those are together. Because that is the good news. So the resurrection is vitally important. It's not just that Christ died, it's that he rose. Okay, hey, look at what Romans 4 says about this. He expounds on this idea. Resurrection's key. key, right, right down here. Verse 23, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised, such a weird thought, for our justification. He was raised for your justification. So, so why is this aspect huge? You find rock solid assurance that the full wrath of God was absorbed and appeased in Christ, that you are rightly declared holy before God in his sight, that you are that the shame and guilt is removed from you by his sacrifice, that he has redeemed you at that perfect, infinite cost, and has reckoned Solid you back to God because of the evidence that he was raised you were raised he was raised for your justification why can you ultimately be standing before an infinitely righteous holy God and that be okay because he was raised because you find your rock solid assurance not in your skill, not your morality not in your church attendance, not in your prayer life but that Jesus Christ rose that's where you find it I mean, this is, this is huge. So because he did that, it validates all of that. So you can be sure that the wrath of God is not still lingering on you. It's not still circulating around you. It, it is, it's totally appeased because he rose. We can be made right. He can declare us right before God. Amazing. Amazing, the, the resurrection. So let's, just, let's end with a question that we're gonna see, I think, an answer to here right in this text. Why is this gospel, which I have in no way exhaustively talked about, why is this good news of Jesus Christ, taking alienated hearts, hostile minds, doing evil deeds, reconciling them back and, and giving us his above approach, holy life, why is this the foundation of our life and mission together? Look at what he says, go back to 1 Corinthians 15, says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here is why this truth is foundational for our life, our mission, our hope, our joy, our unity together. And what you're seeing in this text, Paul shows saving faith, okay, the, the justification aspect of okay, the gospel, is the receiving, which you receive. Okay, that's that's, I'm declared righteous by no work of my own. That is solely the work and grace and act of God and mercy towards me in Christ. Okay, that's that's the receiving. Then the sanctification piece, you being made more in the likeness of his son Jesus is the continued standing in the gospel. Okay, so, so here's the thing. if you just believe a truth, if you're just like, "Well, yeah, I believe Jesus died, yeah, I believe the Son of God, yeah, I believe he was a good guy, I believe all these things happen, but as no continued bearing on your life, if you're not continuing to stand in the gospel, you may have believed in vain. You may have vain belief, because you're moving on to something new now. But listen, the very thing that saves you is the thing that causes you to grow up in him. It's the same thing that causes you to be refined and shaped more into the image of Jesus. So so you don't move on to something new, which is why we talked about discipleship last week, is applying gospel truths to every area of our lives. So as we walk as learning disciples, this is forming the way we speak and are shaped and learn to walk rightly as a covenant community of people. And amazing that he shows us. So, So Paul says, in this we stand Why?" Because the constant unending bent of you and me is to stand in everything but this. You want to stand in your skill. You want to stand in your effort. You want to stand in your morality. You want to stand in your prayer life. You want to stand in your Bible reading. You want to stand in the way you treat other people. You want to stand in all of your good, holy, righteous works that you think are achieving for you something. You want to stand in all of these things. And guess what? None of those things will hold up on the day of judgment. None of them. And you know, on the day of judgment, what you're going to want? You're not going to want a longer list. You're not going to want people say, oh, oh, but I also gave a lot. I also was generous this way. No, you're going to want a champion. You're going to want someone to stand in front of you and go, hey, paid in full. I did it. I was the champion. I was the sacrifice. I was the hero. I was the one who lived your life for you, took your alienated heart, your hostile mind, your evil deeds. I did it for you. So now your holy, blameless, above reproach life is, is seen in Christ. Colossians 3, we're hidden in Christ with God. So now you can be presented to him blameless. Amazing. So now out of joy, you long to stand in the gospel and mature and grow as a disciple and learner of Jesus, but not the other way around. So now we're going from the root up and not branches down. And so here he shows us that we stand in the gospel. Now let me just help us as we close understand the difference between vain belief and standing in the gospel. Because so I think some of these things might be very prevalent for us. Now remember, he's talking to the church at Corinth. He's talking to professing Christians. He's not talking to uh, people who are just a big, mixed bag. He's talking to people who he assumes are believers in Christ. Vain belief happens when the only things for you, spiritually speaking, exist in this room. And it never moves outside of this room. That's vain belief. Okay, so you come to church, you sing the songs, you give, you talk to people, and you leave, and there is no standing in any gospel, in any area of your life. It's just vain belief. And and here's kind of how it it might work itself out. You, You attend church, and you might hear a sermon that addresses a sin in your life, or a heart issue in your life, and so here's what you do, you leave and your thought is, I've got it, I'm going to beat this thing, right, so, so you spend a week, two weeks, maybe a month going, I'm going to kill this thing, okay, and the whole time though, your mantra is, I'm buying the lie that I'm the one who's going to fix this, so you're just trying to fix it and conquer it and overcome it, and here's what happens, eventually you just get exhausted, And then you either blame God and run from Him, or you blame others and run from them. Okay, And then maybe you go to another church. Maybe they'll do it. So you go and you hear another sermon. Or maybe it's the same church. You decide to go back later and then you hear another sermon. It talks about an area of sin and it applies the mercy and grace of God. But all you hear is the sin and you leave again going, man, I'm going to fix it. And you start exhausting yourself again. That's vain belief. And nothing is ever changing. Nothing is ever fixed. You're not looking at Jesus. You're not enjoying his gospel. There's no sight of him. There's no pursuit of him. There's no leaning into him. It's just you and your sin. And you want to be the functional God because your bent is, I want to fix this. I want to be worshipped. I want to be honored. I want to be the one who gets the prize for being the champion at the end of it all because I beat my sin. That's vain belief. Standing in the gospel... Involves active minute by minute reliance on Christ for everything. Okay, that's standing in the gospel. That's you going, I am leaning into the truths of Christ. I'm reminding myself of what's true, not buying the lie. I'm leaning into prayer. I'm leaning into the scriptures. I'm leaning into gospel centered community. I'm leaning into people that love Jesus. I'm leaning into the, the covenant community that God has sovereignly placed in me. I'm leaning. Because the scriptures will say all over the place how our mind can be on the flesh or on the spirit, right? And, and sanctification happens when it's on the spirit, when it's on the things of Christ. Colossians 3, fix your mind where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So, so it's you saying, God, I need help. God, I need wisdom. God, I need guidance. God, I, I need you through the power of your Holy Spirit to kill this thing. Not just by setting up parameters, not by just kind of trying to avoid sin, but by leaning and pressing into the finished work of Christ so the power of his gospel breaks that thing in your life. Okay, so here, let me just end with this scenario. guys, Because vain belief just makes sin managers. That's all it does. So you've got over here, okay, Christ is here, sin's over here. So this is the sin-managing circle that we swim in. So, So whatever your thing is, lust, evil thoughts, bitterness, anger bad spouse, I don't know what it is, pathological lying, you're like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix this. So you're over here just managing your sin, trying to, and you can, you can do it for a while, you can exhaust yourself, you have a lot of energy, but Christ is over here, nowhere even in the equation. Your eyes aren't on him, you aren't looking at him, you're not pursuing him, you're just trying to fix what's broken, thinking that this will fix what has never been fixed by the one thing that will fix it. So you're over here, he's not even a part of you going, yeah, but I'm, I'm believing, I'm trusting, I know that's true, but your eyes are face down just in your sin, you're just a manager. Okay, so, so, so take being a, a bad spouse. Okay, take marriage, right? Oh, I need to, I need to fix this. I need to lead my wife or submit to my husband or be more godly or be more forgiving. So you're just over here going, I just need to do this instead of standing in the gospel which leans into Christ and says, look at how covenant-keeping his love is. Look at how relentless his grace is to me. Look at how forgiving he is to me. Look at how patient he is for me. Look at how merciful he is to me. Look at how he had his son slaughtered for me. And that's going to radically affect the way now you interact in your marriage to say, now I can be forgiving. Now I can be loving. Now I can be merciful because I've been shown the greatest degree of all of that. Right, okay, so take money, right? It's not leaving here just going, oh, I've got to be generous now. i just got to give now. Now I'm No, Christ was infinitely wealthy You look at the costly grace of Christ and say, man, he has given me, Christ, the heir of all things. So all this discontentment in my heart, all this longing for worldly possessions is quenched and satisfied in him because he preserved me and makes me secure because he is infinite riches. And he's given me his son. And I'm secure in that. And so now all of a sudden, you're not just face down to your discontentment your idolatry of wealth and money. That's not your functional God. He is. And that changes that. If you've got bitterness and resentment, unforgiveness or envy, or right? You just face, I want to just stop doing it. I want to feel that way. Never gonna happen. You gotta look at what he did. You gotta lean and press unendingly into the one who did all of these things we talked about so that it ultimately breaks the power of that thing in your life. So are you pushing and pushing and pushing into the gospel of Jesus Christ as the center of your life and foundation for all that you are, or are you just a vain believer which creates a sin manager? When you leave here, what is your understanding of change? And this ties largely into last week. You need older men speaking to younger men, older women speaking to younger women, and vice versa. This truth of this gospel that God sovereignly designed the church interacting that way, cross-generationally, mingling of generations, different people making disciples, walking with, making learners of this, growers of this. We need help, we need help. I need the older men in this church to speak this truth into my heart, which they do so lovingly and so graciously. What a, what a beautiful reality this, this is that our fuel is caused by the sacrificial life of Jesus. So brothers and sisters, out of everything, this has to be first importance for us. And we're going to learn what this looks like and how this flushes itself out. We're not going to be perfect at it. We're going to grow in grace in it because even when we're not perfect in it, again, a chance to enjoy and see His mercy and grace in His gospel. It means us not thinking too highly of ourselves. It means us finally leaning into the one who's the center of the universe, getting ourselves free from thinking we are the center of the universe. It frees us to enjoy the church, enjoy the family. And so, if we, if we get anything, let's get this. Let's talk about this. Let's remind each other about this. The good news that the wrath of God has been removed, sacrifice has been made, justification has been declared. Redemption's been paid. Reconciliation has occurred. For the good of our souls, glory of God. So we don't make disciples. Let's ask for help. God, help us. We love you. We're grateful for who you are. We're grateful for this truth. I, I ask you to be kind to our hearts in this moment in and, and continuing to believe this. Not with vain belief, but with a standing belief in the gospel. I pray to expose in our hearts those areas or spaces where we're not standing in the gospel, where we're being prideful or arrogant, and need to be more humble. God, will you make us a church that is marked by humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with? God, will we see more of the infinite glories of this gospel through seeing your word, through prayer, through community, through gathering together as a covenant community of people God I pray for those in this room this morning who have no saving faith that have not repented of sin and turned to Christ that have not acknowledged their belittlement of his name that no no acknowledging of the the lack of honor or glory given to you God would you kindly show them the grace and mercy of Christ would you show them the weight of the wrath that stood before them and the undeniable work of Christ that stood in their place, to receive that, to take that, to absorb that, to declare them righteous, to take their sin, to redeem them at a cost, to reconcile them back and mend the gap forever. May they trust you this morning. Those in this room that feel deep, dark shame and guilt, would you remind them this morning that it's been removed? They don't need to sit there. They don't need to feel that. That's what the gospel does. And God, might we move on from that shame and guilt standing in the gospel. God, as we remember your broken body and shed blood, may we enjoy remembering you and celebrating you. Giving you all glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs)